Hey there, product security pros, David and Shlomi here. Hosting the Left to Our Own Devices podcast has been a privilege. During the past two years, we had the opportunity to chat with top product security minds from the likes of CISA, the FDA, Boston Scientific, Jaguar Land Rover, and many others. 20,000 listeners and 50 plus guests later, we thought it was time to take things to the next level and launch the first virtual conference for product security. Left to Our Own Devices, the conference. Join us on April 3rd, 9 a.m. EST for fascinating and practical sessions from the world's top product security minds across industry, government, and academia, entirely online and completely free. KPMG, Showstack & Associates, OpsRight, Valentium, and ASRG have already joined as partners or speakers. To sign up for free and save your spot, go to cybellum.com conference. That's C-Y-B-E-L-L-U-M dot com slash conference. See you there and enjoy the show. Hi, this is David. And this is Shlomi. And you've tuned into Left to Our Own Devices, the product security podcast. Our guest today is Joanna C. Cooper, General Manager at Daimler Truck North America, Mount Holly Truck Plant. <laughs> Over the past 15 years, Joanna built multidisciplinary industry experience domestically and internationally, ranging from project management and component procurement through manufacturing operations and engaging customer experience. She is a senior executive and C-suite advisor, so we're very excited to learn a little bit from her experience today. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, David. So you recently celebrated 15 years at Daimler Truck. So how did you get into the automotive manufacturing industry to begin with? Uh, it's a really good question. I always say Daimler found me back in 2008. Growing up in Detroit, I always associated manufacturing with the big three. Chrysler, now Stellantis, Ford, and GM. Uh, and my dad actually worked for Chrysler for 35 years. And so uh, post-college, getting ready to start my career, I tried to do financial advising and then be a real estate mogul. Both of those things that weren't really a good fit. And so I was still looking for what that next opportunity was. And so a recruiter called me one day and said that he thought that there was a good fit for an opportunity that had opened up at Detroit Diesel Corporation. And little did I know that this powertrain plant that was five minutes from my house, right, was right around the corner, was actually an option to, to start a career. So I went to Detroit Diesel. I had a series of interviews, and then I was fortunate to be able to start there in May of 2008 as an associate buyer in purchasing. And that's kind of where my career within Daimler, now Daimler Truck, began. Wow. <laughs> Maybe we can ask you a little bit about, you know, the what you were doing before that. Before that, I was being very young and opinionated, while most people will probably tell you I'm still very opinionated, right? I, got, <laughs> <laughs> I graduated from college uh, from the University of Detroit with big dreams to um, be an entrepreneur because I never wanted to have someone tell me what to do. Big dream. Uh, but a little bit of green behind the ears. And so tried to do the financial advising piece because I have a finance degree. 
I realized that the sales piece of it was not something that I was really um, too hip about because trying to convince someone to do what's best for their their future was pretty was not really something that uh, that that I did well. However, um, I also tried to do real estate, and it was at a time that the market crashed. So my best friend and I we had purchased some homes. I rented them out, but then the market crashed. We lost the tenants. I don't really have as much financial backing at that age because, I mean, I was 22, 23 years old, right? I hadn't even had a career yet. Uh, So needless to say, that crashed and burned. But thank God that I found Detroit Diesel. Um, I learned to let people tell me what to do, and I've been able to make a pretty good career out of it as well. Yeah, and you you raced your way to becoming the general manager, so then you could tell everybody else what to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't call it a race. I mean, most most people would maybe look at my journey and consider it to be to be fast. Um, I always I always tell people that no one sees the work that you do in the closet and they don't see the things that you invest in, the time, the thought process behind trying to navigate the path forward to to get to a certain space. And then even with that, you can't control when the opportunities come. The only thing that you can do is prepare yourself as much as possible so that when those opportunities come, you have an opportunity to say yes. That is really good advice. Really good I advice. must say, we, we've been talking with a lot of executives. I don't think I haven't heard ever heard of someone who started out in financial advisory then real estate and then ended up in automotive so that's a really really cool uh, <laughs> trajectory it took really interesting um I, I, so i'm curious you've been around for a while obviously what are the main trends industry trends that you witnessed uh, during your 15 year career i believe i came into manufacturing and automotive in a integral time so when i started at detroit diesel right we were building diesel engines. Uh, we also had, you know, axles. And over the, the span of my 15-year career, I have been involved on projects that that started the trend about electric vehicles to now being in the space and working for a company that is producing electric vehicles, um, albeit in our Portland, Oregon location today, right? And seeing how the technology is moving so fast from just regular EPA changes that are driving technical adjustments to our processes to now we're talking about whole vehicle product changes because we're trying to lead the role for sustainable transportation. So I think it's a super awesome time to be in to actually see the industry transform into what it will, what it will be in the future. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. As someone who grew up in, in a period where there was almost like, um, I'd say it was pretty stagnant in the first 30 years of my life. Uh, things changed, but it was mostly on the exterior, and maybe also the the engines, you know, were better. But you know, now we're talking about moving to hybrids, and then really fast from hybrids to EVs, and and now you know to autonomous vehicles at yep. some point in the future, or even hydrogen combustion, right? And we're talking about a lot of yeah, different technologies. Yeah, yeah, really interesting, really interesting. So maybe you can share with us what is the most exciting project or innovation that's going on today at Daimler uh, that you can tell us about? I'm sure there are things you can tell us about, but maybe there's something that's, you know, that you can share with us. Yeah. So, you know, our our purpose is uh, for all who keep the world moving, right? Because if 
COVID didn't tell us anything. It was how essential it was to move goods and and provide services and, and, and just do things that we in the transportation industry, especially in trucking, we get an opportunity to do. Um, also, it is our goal to keep the world moving from a sustainable perspective, right? So we are, you know, striving to lead this change to sustainable transportation. And, you know, and we have a significant impact on uh, the society and, and, and the world that we live in. And so to, to see the launch of the eCascadia, and then now recently um, at the ACT Expo, we unveiled the, the EM2, which is like the new version of the type of trucks that I'm building here in, in Mount Holly. Um, that is really exciting to see. I mean, and of course, we're also doing development in the autonomous space, which is, I think, for us will be um, somewhat of a game changer if we can really unlock that. And then I think with that, then my Jetsons childhood of the cartoons that I watched growing up would like be. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe you're talking about the Jetsons. Yeah. You can ask Shlomi how many times I've brought up the Jetsons <laughs> to these guys. It's incredible. Yeah, okay, oh, he's, he's right. I know this right, guy for it. two years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know this guy for two years. I think I heard about the Jetsons like 20 times. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all we Go need is vehicles who, that that fly like cars that fly, and I think we can get pretty close to that. We have airplanes, right? And, and we have <laughs> robot animals, robot vacuum cleaners. I mean, oh, yeah. iPhones. We have so many things that I remember watching on the Jetsons. It's just like, hey, we're almost there in my lifetime. <laughs> yep, I can relate to that completely. Yep, amazing. George, George and Linda, right? Yep. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh man! All right, great stuff. I don't know how we can transition for that part, <laughs> but I'll try. <laughs> so I'm really curious to hear what what you think about that part. So if we can talk a little bit about uh, automotive cybersecurity specifically, which is the field we're coming from, what do you think are are the main challenges in that area today, and how is Daimler dealing with uh, with these challenges? The technology in the cybersecurity space is really growing. Like I even find myself downloading, I had downloading like a two-factor authentication uh, just to, you know, protect everything that we have in the cloud, right? It was all like we transitioned everything from hardware into software and put it in the cloud. Um, and, and so we have pulse checks. We do regular checks of, of our own systems, but being in the automotive space, it's the end-to-end that is, is a challenge. So it may not be Daimler, that has the impact, but it could be a vendor as part of our supply base that has an impact or even further along the tier twos, tier threes, and tier fours, because everyone is on, uh, is at a different stage in their journey when it comes to cybersecurity and the protecting the hardware. And there's so many, so many people out here that are just holding information hostage. Like it's a whole <laughs> industry now <laughs> of people right, that are, right. are are making money, unfortunately, based off holding uh, information hostage. So it's a really important topic for us to secure our operations on a on an annual basis, because if we can't do that, then we can't provide the service and the benefit to our customers. Yeah, absolutely. I, In fact, I was at an embedded world show uh, where it's mostly manufacturers who are creating a lot of the components that will will at some point end up in potentially in your trucks, right? And 
I started talking to them about cybersecurity. These are companies from Taiwan and China and Germany and other places. Some of them are very small and they don't know very much about cybersecurity at all. And then, like you said correctly, that they're passing a lot of this stuff along and it ends up in, in your factories. And I guess, you know, now with um, some of the European regulations like uh, R155 and uh, I forget the other one, ISO 2343, four, I think it Two is. 2434, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's definitely becoming a challenge and uh, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to see what happens, especially... You mentioned taking information hostage. Well, what happens when we have autonomous vehicles and our jets and jets and trucks are in the air and somebody takes control of them? Hmm. Right. It's going to be a big challenge. Big challenge. Yeah. And and I think we we have so much access to things so quickly uh, because it's the small things and the user interface that is typically the most vulnerable. So educating uh, people on the how-tos of cybersecurity to protect yourself, especially operating in this world with ChatGPT and Google and and, and all these things that we have available at our fingertips um, in order to not let let people in. I feel like clickbait has gotten out of control and that's even just sending links to your company email. Anybody, once they understand the nomenclature of the company email, can send an email out and, you know, we do a lot of training on, don't click that link. And we'll get emails about phishing and just simple things like that. But it's the education that I believe is going to also be important for the security in the future and really today. So let's take a shift to one of your personal organizations that you're involved with. <laughs> uh, you're, you're now a board member in the Women in Manufacturing organization, which really sounds uh, fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit more about the organization and your role in it and, and where you see things heading, let's say, for women yeah. in manufacturing? So over the course of, I would say, the last decade, uh, Women in Manufacturing has grown to be really the only national and global trade association dedicated to providing year-round support to women who have chosen a career in the manufacturing industry. Uh, It started back in 2010 as just a female executive networking group called Women in Metal Forming uh, and very quickly transformed into women in manufacturing within a 2012 to 2014 timeframe. And they've done a very good job of being inclusive of any type of position inside of the world of manufacturing. And it's not just automotive manufacturing. It even goes down to the plant that produces cat litter, right? You don't even think that cat litter has to come out of a plant. That is still manufacturing. And so the membership profile has C-suite executives, but as well as a number of specialists, managers, human resources, administrative production. I mean, it it goes across the board. Um, They do a lot with also advocating for women, not just in manufacturing leadership roles, but also manufacturing in the skilled trade space. So for a woman who is also trying to support a family, skilled trades is a very um, good avenue to consider. One, because that skill can be used both inside and outside of an organization, but it, it, it can also be lucrative when it comes to the salary potential that, that one could, could take advantage of. 
And so they, there's a lot that we do in order to attract and retain members. Uh, the retention is over 90%. And so I think we do a good job of providing services and opportunities and just uh, information that, that people want to come back for more. And we're also looking at expanding into more global areas. So last year, there was the first meeting in Germany and Swybrooken, um, I believe, right? And they're going to other locations in Europe and we want to go into Mexico with the partnerships, with the cor- corporate partnerships that we have solidified to, to further advance the mission of attracting and retaining women in manufacturing. Must, must be pretty incredible networking. That could be one of the big opportunities they see. I think. Absolutely. And um, belonging. Typically, when you're a woman in, in manufacturing, you are not a part of the majority, you're a part of the minority. And so providing that space and those opportunities for women to get together to collaborate or just align on a best practices or to get support and outside of your own organization versus just inside of it is is really important. So uh, while we're on that topic, um, what are your tips for, for women wanting to advance their careers in manufacturing, cybersecurity or other historically, uh, you know, male-dominated uh, fields? Well, first, get educated and say yes to even considering manufacturing or cybersecurity or any of those male-dominated fields. Um, women bring, bring a, a different perspective. And I think that we all agree that diverse perspectives enable us to, to actually be the best at what it is that we do. We are able to sharpen one another and really push the needle forward. Um, I, I would say that, you know, there are always opportunities to say yes, and you might find your own space in life and, and how it fits your personality by looking at these non-traditional paths. Um, on the other side, when you get into a place, we're typically taught to get in and work hard, and then someone is going to come tap you on the shoulder and tell you did a very good job and give you a lot of promotions. It typically doesn't happen like that. It's a little bit of a fairy tale. <laughs> Once you get in and you learn the business and you you build that that acumen and you start building your network, um, it's important to make sure that people know that you want to progress, that you want to take on more. And sometimes that means taking on a hobby, or it means you know working on a hard project, or it could mean relocation at times, right? To experience a different place and space. The world is so flat now that international experience or that experience of going to a different location is very, very important to just build the complete skill package that you need to be successful. Hence the trip from Detroit to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, after the trip to Germany, because I lived in Germany from, from 2012 to 2015. Oh, really? Oh, Where really? were you living? Uh, in Stuttgart, in the Stuttgart area, in a ah, small town called Esslingen. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I I know them both actually. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've um I've spoken at a couple of conferences in Stuttgart. Uh, it's, yeah, uh, it's definitely cool. the uh, auto capital of uh, of Germany. <laughs> yeah, what they say on the on Koenigstrasse, like the like you have the Mercedes Benz star on one side, and then you had the Bosch Tower yep, on yep. the other side, and. I can't remember who gives breath and who gives light, but Bosch and, <laughs> Bosch and Mercedes and, and Stuttgart, <laughs> you know, those are two premier employers for sure. Absolutely. So we have our office in uh, in Germany, in Hamburg, 
And uh, but our, our our guys there, they they definitely are in Stuttgart a lot, and actually they're everywhere from Bavaria, from Munich up to you know Frankfurt and wherever we need to go. So oh, we that travel is a awesome. lot. Yeah. And the conferences tend to be in Berlin, which is quite a nice city as well. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed the experience, and I I oftentimes encourage anybody, whether it's a woman or or a man, um, to pursue saying yes. To something different because what it does is it builds a sort of grit and resilience that you don't you don't otherwise build staying in the same place. And the changing landscape requires us to remain curious. I fundamentally believe mm, that. Right. And in order to, to remain curious, you have to remain uncomfortable. And it's really hard as we progress through our careers. And I, I'm halfway through my career. I have a certain level of comfort continuing to say yes to that new opportunity or that yeah. new challenge or, or or whatever it might be is a way to almost jolt myself into always being curious and not getting complacent. Because as soon as I become complacent, right, then you start to, to lose that ability to pivot and be agile and to adopt all of the things that are coming that are new. Right. And so moving is a- You lose the edge. You can do, absolutely. <laughs> So moving is a physical thing that you can do that completely thrusts the whole of your being into discomfort. And it always feels uncomfortable. You, you'll never really get used to it. However, you become more and more apt to, to deal with it. And it does translate over to both your personal and your professional life. Yeah. I, I believe that. Right, right. Such good advice. It is. And I think that change is, um, is something that people really get nervous about. And it's something I agree with you. And I think, I think change is opportunity. And I think that change is something that if you can get, you know, you can embrace it, then it will, um, it will only help you to grow. And the more you travel the world, the more you see different cultures, the more you interface with people. I think, I really think I agree with you. It's, it's definitely coming out of the comfort zone, but then you're expanding. Yeah. And growth is always going to require an additional level of capacity that we didn't have before. So it's always going to be painful. And I I think that there's a belief that once I get past this milestone, then it'll be easy. It'll never be easy as long as you're continuing to try to expand your capacity, just like weightlifting. Like I did bodybuilding for some time. It always hurts as your muscles are growing. It always does because you you have to tear some (laughs) things down in order to, yep. to to build them back up again. And so encouraging people to continue to say yes and make those changes as their lives change, right? Especially women in this space, right? When you start to have families or, you know, you have elder care, right? There are all these opportunities to say, okay, I'm done pushing, right? Those that kind of continue to, to find their way forward, I think, you know, they, they rise to the top. Definitely. I agree. <laughs> so. We're we're at our last question, and I think we could go on for you know another hour with this because you're a great <laughs> you're a great guest on this show. So, what was the most amazing or unbelievable moment that you've had in your career so far? That is a very hard question to answer because I feel like I have been blessed with so many great and memorable moments. If I had to pick one, I would say. I was working on a project um, back in Detroit, and we had done a a systems change 
uh, for the the manufacturing ordering system, right? And how we do all the scheduling. Um, and we were changing over from a very old system to, you know, an SAP-based system. And in pure <laughs> technology fashion, every, nothing goes right when you're trying to map the zeros and the ones in the IT space to the real world. <laughs> and right. it was a, it was definitely a very challenging time for for a few months. And what that opportunity or what was unbelievable for me was, you know, I was sitting in my office one Saturday with a colleague of mine, and we were just talking about how could we get out of this hole that we had that we had gotten into, and we put together what we call Team Underdog. And then Team Underdog was, hey, if we could do change six things over the next 90 days, what would they be? And describe the current state and what the future looked like. And then we start thinking about, well, who could we recruit from the rest of the organization, the superstars that could help us in this, this endeavor to try to, to make these changes? And so we we pulled it together. We named it after the Detroit Red Wings. So we had various old hockey players, like stars from the um, the hockey team as the names of the team. And we pulled this team together and we said, hey, this is what today looks like. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And we actually were able to accomplish a significant number of our goals um, sooner where we actually got to go home for Easter weekend and didn't have to work through and that unlocked something major for me when it came to why I like being in manufacturing. It's really all about the people. We didn't do everything, right? We we tried to take a step back and re-baseline and, and define what success looks like, right? And then try to translate that vision to the rest of the team in a way that it was digestible, but also given the autonomy to, to own how they were going to achieve the ideal state, right? So people are the foundation of what it is that, that that we do, right? And it was just a constant reminder that I, as a leader, don't have to figure everything out. What I need to be able to do is take the time to step back, to dig deep, right? To try to redefine and then focus on how to leverage the best out of each and every person that we have on our team um, to achieve success. And I mean, that was years ago, and I've had a couple of other experiences that that reminded me of the same thing over and over and over again. But what I always say, I get to build people every day who build trucks, right? I get to see in operations, right, the result of right, those right. little turns of the screws or those opportunities when you really invest in somebody and you see them shine, um, and every day is not a great day because that's why I dye my hair now, because most of it is gray. However, <laughs> we do get those glimmers of hope. <laughs> we do get those glimmers of hope where we can actually see the the investment that we put, put it in paying off. And and for me, those create a multitude of unbelievable moments that always remind me that this is why I do what I do. Incredible. Really nice. And it's such a perfect example of exactly what you said before of getting out of the comfort zone and 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 still delivering even even before time that's uh, you know it shows the power of that exactly so. Mm-hmm. So I think that's actually a perfect a perfect way to to end this uh Joanna this has been incredible really both uh, on a personal level and a professional level I I I definitely learned a lot and tons of uh, career lessons and life lessons uh so thank you. 
And, you know, hearing it, especially from someone for, like you who came from a completely different area and went all, all the way up to, to being the general manager of Daimler, I think, I think it says a lot. So, so thanks again. No, thank you all. And this has been a great conversation. Thanks for putting up with it. It's been fun. And long live the Jetsons. Yeah, long live the Jetsons. <laughs> Left to Our Own Devices is brought to you by Cybellum. To learn more, visit Cybellum.com. Oh,